We have those words in John 12, 31. The ruler of this world will be cast out. That's where I stopped, I guess it was three weeks ago. Um, I started there, actually, a month or two ago, and then took a break because I said, I really want to get this statement right. Now, my soul is troubled, verse 27, but then he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, and I will draw all peoples to myself if I'm lifted up from the earth. So if you've been here, you know, and if you haven't, I'll tell you. Basically, what our Lord is doing in these verses, 31 and 32, is he's telling us this. Upon my crucifixion, upon my death by crucifixion, three results will come of it. The judgment of this world, the ruler of this world will be cast out, and the incarnate Son of God will draw all kinds of people to himself all over the world for an awful long time until he's finished. So three results of the death by crucifixion of the incarnate Son of God. And we're considering the second one, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Most informed Bible readers kind of have this instinct when they read this verse. They, 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 they identify this ruler of this world uh, as the devil or Satan. And that's a good instinct to have. And in previous sermons, I tried to show you that's uh, a right instinct to have, not just good, but it's right, it's biblical. Um, it does refer to the devil. Somehow, uh, in some way, our Lord's death by crucifixion affects the devil. Now, good Bible readers know that there's actually a promise way back in Genesis 3 that talks about this in different language. The seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent. Um, so if you read that text, which we looked at a few weeks ago, in context and then how the rest of the Bible understands that curse upon the serpent, it actually becomes a curse slash promise. It's a curse on the serpent, but it's a promise that has positive effects for the rest of us. Namely, the Son of God a man's going to come from a woman without a man who destroys the devil. The Son of God was manifested in order to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3.8. So it's a good instinct that identifies this God, or excuse, excuse me, this ruler of this world as the devil. But to show you briefly, excuse me, I already showed you briefly that that's a, that's a good way to look at it. And this morning... My goal, just like the last time I took up this text, is to make sense of these words, the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world will be cast out. So what I did last time is I tried to prove that our Lord means the devil by the ruler of this world. Okay, And then I brought up three more issues that have to be explained, at least from my mind, to understand what Jesus means by these words. And the second thing, and we'll look at this this morning, is explain what it means that the devil is the ruler of this world. That he's the ruler of this world is one thing. What does it mean that he is the ruler of this world is another. 
So we'll look at that. And then I'll explain what the casting out of the devil means. What does it mean that the devil's going to be cast out? And then next week, God willing, explain how all of this is related to our Lord's death. So last time we considered, by the words, the ruler of this world, our Lord means Satan or the devil. By way of review, Satan is a created angelic spirit who sinned along with other angels that are now called demons not long after their creation. The devil is the diabolical enemy both of God's of both of God and God's people. He's also the leader of what Paul calls principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness. That's Ephesians 6:12. Our Lord uses the same language, this ruler of this world, two other times in the gospels. Again, this is by way of review. He says in John 14:30, I will no longer talk much with you, his disciples, for the ruler of this world is coming and has nothing in me. It's a very interesting words. This is the week of our last our Lord's last week of life on earth. And he recognizes that there's this coming of the ruler of this world. What is this referring to? Most likely referring to an attack that the devil is going to um, produce uh, on the Lord, trying to derail him from fulfilling his mission on the earth. You remember when he was tempted in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, in Luke 4, there's, after the temptation, it says, the devil left him until basically an opportunistic time. So we have indications in the gospel records that the devil just didn't tempt Jesus once. You remember reading Revelation 12 together a few weeks ago, where John tells us in Revelation 12 that even before the birth of our Lord, the devil was waiting for the birth that he might destroy the woman's seed or the woman's child. Well, that that attack of the devil upon the last Adam, by the way, that's important too, huh? Because Jesus is the last Adam. The first attack was on the first Adam through the woman, and now God through a woman is going to destroy the devil through the seed of a woman. So Jesus knows this last week of his life, that intense um, temptations are going to be brought to him by the devil to try to derail him from his mission. But he basically says, when he says, uh, um, he has nothing in me. He goes, look, I know he's coming. I know he's going to attack me again, but he has nothing in me. We could say he has nothing on me. That's probably the way we would understand it better. You know what that means. He, he, he's got no claims on me. He, he's not going to win. It might be difficult. It might be a difficult battle, but he has no claims on me. Now, the first time we see Satan in the Bible is in the first book in Genesis 3, using a serpent as a servant of his to, um, to get to the man through the woman. And they end up violating God's law. And then God 
curses um, serpent, woman, and man. And the curse on the serpent is that little curse slash promise that I mentioned before. It's found in Genesis 3.15. It's very important. The seed, he, uh, the seed of the woman, shall bruise your head, and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. The serpent of old is called the devil and Satan. Revelation 12, verse 9. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. That is, assuming the Son of God's death by crucifixion, something is going to happen to the devil by virtue of his, of his death by crucifixion. The devil, through the serpent, got to the first Adam through Eve, but the last Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, is stronger than the devil and beats him on his own turf and then plunders his house. Remember, that's biblical language I'm using there that we read together a few weeks ago. God gets to the devil through a woman who gave birth to the last Adam. Now, you know how Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about how the cross, preaching the cross, you know, salvation by grace, through faith, by virtue of the cross, the, the crucifixion of the Son of God, um, is foolishness to the world. It, they're going like, what? God does what? God reverses the table? God turns the table on the devil through crucifixion? How does all that work? Well, Next week, we'll connect it to the death of Christ, but that's the truth. You, you would think, well, isn't God sovereign? Can't he just wave a wand or whatever, you know? That's probably not the best way to do that. Or do this, you know, like the whatever that lady's name was. God is just. God created the world in, in such a way, and he's committed to this world, um, this world got infected by sin, and this world was supposed to be ruled by a vice regent, man created in the image of God, but he didn't rule well, did he? He sinned really quickly in the garden that God had placed him in. But somebody else comes as a fake ruler now, and usurps, takes a position not his by right, and ends up having power to deceive us, mankind. And what Jesus is saying here is, yeah, that's been happening for a long time. But by virtue of my death, there's going to be a change in the way things are in the world. So my second uh, question or issue I said I needed to be deal with was, what does it mean that the devil is ruler of this world? You ever wondered about that? Ruler of this world, God of this age um, as well. Paul calls him that. So let's consider what it cannot mean, okay? 
What does it mean that the devil is the ruler of this world? Here's what it cannot mean. It cannot mean that the devil is the absolute monarch over all of creation, right? It can't mean that. I mean, we were just saying a song about creation and not just creation, but providence as well. That which God has made, God sustains. God is the ruler yet, okay, though the wrong seems off so strong. Here's what one man from, I almost said the last century, two centuries ago now, says, we are not to think that God in any degree divested himself of the property and dominion of this world and committed them into the hands of his great enemy. The thing is impossible. And then he quotes Psalm 103, 19. His his kingdom ruleth over all. Even the prince of this world is his property and his subject, though a rebellious one, and the unconscious and unwilling instrument of his holy and wise, righteous and righteous government. The lion of hell is held in unbreakable chains, and to him, as well as to the oceans, God says, Hither shalt thou come and no farther. Isn't that good? It was hard to stop the quote there because the rest of it's really good. I'll have some quotes from the same guy later. Hither shalt thou come and no farther. Okay, so the devil's a creature. The devil's not the creator. The devil hasn't been given universal dominion over the entirety of that which God has created as if he were God or something, but he's still called the God of this world. So it can't mean un-universal sovereignty over the creation. Secondly, whatever it means, it cannot mean that the devil is able to force us to do his will. Okay, It's not like the devil has, has the power of effectual calling, you know, wherein God... Um, you know, you might be hearing the gospel with your ears only, but somebody else is getting it in, in their soul in such a way that this summons to come to Christ is answered by the soul, by the grace of God working on the soul, changing the soul, and then the soul willingly coming to Christ. Coming, uh, we came most freely being made so by his grace, Right? All of us came freely because God changed us. The devil does not have that kind of authority. It cannot mean that the devil is able to force us to do the will, his will. I think I've mentioned this. Is it, what's the guy's name? The comedian from the 60s and 70s. The devil made me do it is not true. What's that guy's name? Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson, thank you. Remember he used to say, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Well, then we wouldn't be responsible if the devil forced our, us against our will uh, or even had the power to change our will, that's not the devil's prerogative to change the creature's will. He does not have that kind of a power uh, to effectively compel men to sin. He can suggest things. He's a suggester, isn't he? He can dangle things in front of us. He is able to use his minions 
and other Cretan minions. I, by the way, I looked it up in the dictionary on the computer, and it did the movie, minions. You know, I'm going, come on, this is an old word. It's a good word. His servants is what it means here. He's able to use his minions and other creatures to tempt us, but he does not have the power to make us sin. We always we are always willing compliance with his dastardly or cruel and wicked suggestions. So what does it mean that the devil is ruler of this world? It cannot mean that he is the absolute monarch over all creation. It cannot mean that the devil is able to force us to do his will. So what does it mean? If it can't mean those things, uh, what does it mean? The prince of this world quoting the same guy I quoted before, has a kind, a degree, and an extent of power over the present evil world. John Brown is that man's name. He says of this world, he's defining this world now, he says, this earth with its furniture and inhabitants, rational and irrational, lying under the divine curse pronounced on account of the first sin of the first man. See what he did? He went all the way back to the consequences brought into the theater of man's experience by virtue of God's judgment upon Adam's first sin. And he's saying because of that, a part of the judgment is this devilish activity on the earth. The power the devil now has, he did not have before the fall into sin by our first parents. He couldn't have been called the prince of the world, prince of this world, before the fall into sin. The power he now has is a part of the prescription of punishment for offenders by virtue of the divine government. That's the quote as well. See what he just said here? The devil and devilish activity on the earth, this side of the fall into sin, is part, in part, is in part due to the judgment of God. You want to follow him? Okay, go ahead, kind of thing. Man chose to follow the advice and to submit to the government of Satan And as the appropriate punishment of this foul treason, God gave man over in a great measure into the hand of this mighty and terrible one, allowing Satan to practice and prosper, he has in quotes, so as strongly to bring out the folly as well as the wickedness of man's choice and conduct. Unquote. The devil is then, in this sense, the god of this age, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience as a part of man's punishment for the first sin and all sins since. Kind of ugly, isn't it? It's like, He needs to be cast out, doesn't he? So what does it mean... What does the casting out of the devil mean? That's our last question for today. What does that mean? Whatever it means, it sounds like it's going to be good, right? 
It is. It's also connected to the death of Christ. Remember, these are three results of death by crucifixion. If I die by crucifixion, which means I'm going to die by crucifixion, within a week he died by crucifixion, judgment of this world, ruler of this world should be cast out, I will draw all men to myself. So what does the casting out of the devil mean? Again, what it cannot mean comes first. And then what it does mean. Two things it cannot mean. Excuse me. It cannot mean that when our Lord dies, the devil is immediately annihilated or brought from a state of existence to a state of non-existence. Can't mean that. Why do I say that? It cannot mean that when our Lord dies, the devil is immediately annihilated or brought from a state of existence to a state of non-existence. Why do I say it can't mean that? Well, because the devil, after the death of Christ, is said to walk about like a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. Right? That's first. Peter 5.8, that's after the death of our Lord. That's after the resurrection. That's after the ascension. That's after the, uh, the beginning of the current session at the right hand of the Father. He snares those who oppose the truth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. So this again, there's two texts. There's a lot more than just two texts. After the death of Christ that has the devil still active. So it can't mean that when our Lord dies, the devil is immediately annihilated or brought from a state of existence to a state of non-existence. In fact, we are told that at the end of history as we now know it, the devil still exists and will be cast into the lake of fire and be tormented day and night forever and ever, Revelation 20.10. So there's no annihilation going out of existence by virtue of the death of the Son of God. By the way, and be tormented day and night forever and ever. Remember that weird scene in Matthew chapter 8 where those demons are speaking to Christ and he says, who are you, Son of God? What have, what have we to do with you, Son of God? Are you tormenting us before the time? Remember that? They knew some time of torment was going to terminate upon their heads by virtue of this one that had more power than they do. He was casting demons. Why, why, by the way, why do you think a lot of the miracles were casting out demons? So we can claim our demon casting out gift from Jesus? I want the demons cast out of me. Or was it a preview of now the ruler of this world will be cast out? I think it was a preview. So the casting out of the devil can't mean the immediate annihilation of the devil upon the death of Christ. Secondly, it can't mean this either. It cannot mean the immediate inactivity of the devil toward mankind upon the death of Christ. Right? Why do we know that? Because we read the rest of the Bible and we go, well, after his death by crucifixion, there's still demonic activity going on. There's still devilish deeds going on. We wrestle not against 
flesh and, and blood. The devil prowls around, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's still active after the death of Christ, according to the New Testament, in many places. So it can't mean that either, right? What does the casting out of the devil mean? It doesn't mean annihilation, and it doesn't mean immediate inactivity against uh, men or women. So if it doesn't mean those things, what does it mean? Right? What, what it isn't, what it is. What it ain't, what it be, or however that goes. So what, it, what does it be? What is it? Uh, what does it mean? Uh, I would say something like this. The darkness and unbelief that covered most of the ancient world will be slowly but surely changed. I think it means at least that much. Whatever the satanic activity was before the crucifixion, after the crucifixion, it gets altered. Some who were in bondage to sin will be set free. Jews and Greeks, remember in the context of John 12? Greeks came and said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Jesus doesn't like go tell the Greek guys to come over here. He just, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. He uses the phrase, Son of Man, from Daniel 7, going back a few months now. He uses that phrase, Son of Man, from Daniel 7, in the context of Jews and Greeks present in Jerusalem at the temple, He goes back to a prophecy about himself from Daniel chapter 7. And in that prophecy of Daniel chapter 7, there is this son of man going up to the ancient of days and he's given a kingdom and dominion and peoples obey him. I will draw all people to myself. See, what's happening upon the death and uh, resurrection and ascension in the current session of our Lord, uh, the last Adam ruling over the creation, unlike the first Adam who did not rule over the creation, the last Adam has authority over the devil. He has power over the devil. Jews and Greeks will believe in the Messiah. Um, you know, if you look at the ancient world this way, believers in the promised one were not exclusively, but primarily in what we call the Holy Land. Every once in a while, reading the Old Testament, you'll see an outsider either coming in or somehow, some way they had the information, okay? But it was mostly true religion was, was very limited geographically. What Jesus is saying here is that by virtue of my death, I'm going to have this authority over the doctor of death, the devil. And I am going to loosen people from his wretched hands, not just in the Holy Land. It's going to start there, but it's going to go out. So by the time you finish reading the New Testament, you go, The message about Jesus being the incarnate Son of God, the Savior of sinners, got to Europe pretty fast, didn't it? By Acts chapter 16 or 
I think it's actually before that, that the gospel is going out from Jerusalem toward modern-day Turkey, Ephesus, and then it ends up in Philippi and Greece and ends up going to Rome. And then if you go outside of the New Testament, what happens? Within two or three generations, it's like the Roman Empire gets Christianized. Now, I know there are some negative things that came by virtue of that as well, but that happened pretty fast without Twitter and texting and phone calls and TV stations and newscasts without the printing, without the printing press. Some Jews and Greeks will believe in the Messiah. Some from all over the planet will be delivered from darkness to light, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. From the domain of darkness. That's Colossians 1. Remember that interesting language there. He goes back to actually the Exodus and uses language from God saving ancient Israel out of Egyptian bondage, the dark place, who is Pharaoh, by the way. It's the devil, you know. Um, From the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light, kingdom of his dear son, from to, you have turned from idols to God, 1 Thessalonians 1, from idolatry to true divine worship through Christ, people go from darkness to light. Nations that used to be covered in idolatry will see the light of the gospel exposing the darkness and bringing the light of salvation. The devil will still be active. But a stronger man has come who's going to plunder his house. This is all connected to Jesus being the antitype, the fulfillment of the type Adam. Jesus is stronger than the strong man. He has come into the house of the devil, he's the God of this age, this world, and he's going to beat him on his own turf, and he's going to plunder his goods, he's going to pluck people from his wretched hands, and he's going to forgive them of their sins, cleanse them of their unrighteousness, and ultimately take them to glory land. All, and at the end, by the way, you know what he does with all of his enemies. He separates them from God's dear people in such a way as that that gulf of separation cannot be crossed so that we, we, can, we can finally rest assured that all of God's enemies and all of God's people's enemies are far from us and will be in Emmanuel's land. Satan's usurped Though cruel rule over the souls of men 
will be vanquished or thoroughly defeated, though the defeat will be a progressive one over a long period of time, finding its foundation in the death of Christ. Remember I said this can't mean annihilation. This can't mean immediately no activity. But it can mean um, he is defeated. It can mean that the defeat will uh, be a progressive one in terms of how it's applied. There's no, there's no if, and, or but concerning whether or not, by virtue of his death, the, the ruler of this world has been cast out. That's a given. What it looks like over a long period of time, that's divine providence. But that he's been cast out is already a given. The devil's greatest work, his most far-reaching work on the earth, happened a long time ago. In the garden, he got our first parents to sin, and death came to all as a result. That's why death hurts so much, because it's utterly unnatural. It's not like God didn't create with death, the seed of death in the creation. It's a privation. It's the, it's the lack of the good of creation because of the violation of his law. And that was prompted by the wicked one. That was his greatest work on earth. Some people might think, and possibly, I don't know, maybe the devil thought, no, my greatest work on earth is to get Jesus to die. Well, he got duped, if that's the way he thought, right? If he dies, I got him. He got our first parents to sin, and death came to all as a result. But God, ironically, you know what irony is? Things that you are taking place that you wouldn't have thought That's how it was going to take place. God, ironically, through the death of our Lord, turns the tables on the devil. The last Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, defeats death for us. O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? That's 1 Corinthians 15, citing, I forgot the Old Testament text actually, that Paul is citing. In the context of Christ's work as the last Adam, the last Adam defeats death for us. He kills death for us. Some of you have heard of a famous book, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. You ever heard that? That's right. Brother is reading it right now. Well, you're reading the modernized English version. Hosea, thank you. Where is thy sting? The death of death in the death of Christ. This this is for next week. How does death die in the death of Christ? How does our Lord get the upper hand on the devil through his death, which is the death of death as judgment for sin for his people? Uh, You know that death doesn't go away for, for, for Christ's sheep, right? We still die. But our death isn't legal. That is, 
a penalty for our sin, it, is a, it, bec- it becomes now a portal to glory. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. The last Adam defeats death for us, kills death for us, and, de- and thus dethrones the devil who had the power of death. Hebrews chapter 2, I got to deal with that verse. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. There's some weird verses about death, devil, and power. And I'm going to deal with at least two of those next week. But we know this much. Whatever all that stuff means, since the incarnate Son of God has been crucified, since he has been lifted up from the earth, that happened 2,000 years ago, we know this much, whatever it means that the devil was cast out, is cast out, that has happened. And the full implications and entailments of that are being slowly but surely being revealed to us over time. That's church history, 20 centuries of Christ's power. What is he doing? The gospel's going to places, the spoken uh, good news about God's remedy for our sin is going to places that had never heard it before all over the earth. Matter of fact, there are still people out there that do not have scripture in their own language, but there are people, and we, we took an offering for this, I think, to help people do this. There are people that are still training to go out to third world places that have never heard of, of the gospel or haven't, have never seen in their own language, the word of God translated for them. But that's, that's still happening all over the place. So the strong man is winning. So our next issue is, how is the casting out of the devil related to our Lord's death? That is the question for next week. That it is, is clear. What, how it is, the mechanics of it, all I can tell you is it's glorious because it ensures that we're set free. And for that, we should be very thankful. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for these words of our Savior. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Our Lord Jesus Christ has been crucified. He obeyed even in death. He was righteous even in his death. And this was for us and for our salvation. We pray that you'd give us the grace to run from the devil when he's chasing us, to fight off temptations. We don't know how much he or his minions uh, have uh, access to our lives. We know that he can. We don't know how much he does. But we know all this as well. He, 
that is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So grant us the grace to overcome and help us to sing now in gratefulness and thankfulness for the gospel, for the Lord Jesus. We ask in his name, amen.